Just down the road from the Popular Mechanics podcast studio, a new show is coming to Broadway. It's called Paramore, and it's a Cirque du Soleil show. It's the first time the circus put on a show on the world's most famous street for theater. It got me thinking. And think about this next time you watch Cirque du Soleil. When a performer rolls down a rope, or leaps to a trapeze, or just generally does something inhuman and airborne, how do they know the equipment won't break? How do they know the rope won't snap, or the anchor won't pop out of the ceiling? Well, in the case of shows like Cirque du Soleil's O or Iris, or the show Marvel Universe Live, they know because Brett Copes, the head rigger and fabricator for Fight or Flight Entertainment, has set things up for them. On today's show, Brett joins me in the studio and explains how rigging works, as well as why it's probably safer now than it has been at any point in the past. Here's a hint, science. I'm Kevin Dupsick, and this is How Your World Works. Brett, you're actually in town because it turns out New York has a far bigger aerialist community than I would have realized. <laughs> yeah, you've got some big training areas here in New York. So I usually like to start with the biography and kind of find out how you know you got into this. But before that, I think just because this is something that I don't think a lot of people will be familiar with, can you just kind of define what is your job? What is a rigger? So I'm an acrobatic rigging specialist. Uh, when you go see a circus show or an aerial show, uh, my my specialty is dealing with the people who are off the ground mm-hmm. and whatever it takes to keep them off the ground and not coming back to the ground unless it's on purpose, as well as uh, whatever it takes to get their apparatus or what, what they're climbing around on up off the ground. Yeah. So, you know, when somebody decides they want to play around on welded together bubbles, you're the guy who makes sure they can do it in a safe way that also looks cool and lets them kind of ex- ex- exercise their prowess. Yeah, whatever the prop is that they come up with, if it's something traditional that you might have seen before, so if it's a trapeze or, or a lira, which is the steel ring, or something brand new and interesting that no one's ever seen before, that's part of my job is to make sure that uh, it can support the weight and it does what the people want it to do and it uh, stays where we want it to stay and moves around the way we want it to move. And what are the kind of skills that are involved in like every job that you do? The three big categories that, that we put things in is uh, we want things to be safe. And what does that mean? Uh, we want to make sure that they're strong enough to hold up uh, what the people are doing uh, while they're climbing around on it, able to hold up the apparatus, able to hold the, the building is able to hold it up or whatever they're hanging from. The next is we want to make sure that uh, uh, we can do it again and again. And, uh, and we want it to look a certain way because it's showbiz. Things have to look a certain way. Uh, they mm-hmm. are, if you want Peter Pan to fly and you don't want to see the cables, I mean, that's, that's kind of important to that effect. Yeah. So what do we have to do to make sure that things are strong enough, but they also look the way we want them to look? And, uh, and lastly, we want to make sure we have the right personnel in place to uh, um, not only put these kind of things in, in place, but also how to maintain them and how to, how to rescue them and, and how to move things around. Yeah. And I think you're also do some fabrication. So you help put the equipment together as well. Is that right? I do. I, I, I fabricate. Uh, I started uh, fabricating with some of the bigger companies that I worked for. And then as I moved out on my own, I'll do some fabrication or I'll consult on fabricating. Uh, I'm a certified welder. And I, I actually started out, I became a fabricator earlier in my career because I wanted to be an acrobatic rigger. And mm-hmm. it was, it's not a job that everyone can just go apply for and start to do. <laughs> so I ended up working for a handful of scene shops that would fabricate acrobatic equipment and then kind of sidewaysed myself into the rigging side of it. Yeah. So, okay, so now I'm ready to go back to the biography part because you said it's not an easy thing to just go out and apply for. How did you end up doing this kind of work? 
to make what's essentially a 20-year story short, uh, <laughs> like everyone else in their 20s, I was doing a variety of other things, hopefully uh, to keep working in entertainment. Yeah. Um, I was a, an actor and I was a stuntman. And uh, I moved to Los Angeles and I worked in television. I was a television producer for a very small amount of time and a personal assistant. <laughs> and, and, and I worked at Starbucks and I delivered food. So No, um, Uber, no Uber driving yet. No, the, long before Uber ever existed. And uh, the last uh, live stunt show I was in, we were setting up a new show to go along with the new Batman movie that had come out. So there's mm -hmm. all kinds of new elements being built for it. And there was somebody was walking by and their shirt said such and such a rigging team. Yeah. And they were wearing a harness and they had rope and carabiners and these things that uh, I had experience with having done ropes courses and challenge courses and running a rock climbing gym in college. Yeah. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. I like that stuff. And these guys are doing that kind of work here. Uh, I wonder if I, you know, I wonder if I could do that. So I kind of decided right about then, I'm like, well, I'm going to find out. First of all, I'm going to find out what rigging is. And then I'm going to find out, well, how can I do that for a living as opposed to delivering food? Yeah. And being a stuntman for half the year. Yeah. And we do a lot of rigging and stunts at the time. We we're mostly responsible for rigging our own stuff. But I had no idea that you could do it for a living. And for the most part, uh, most people can't. But... Um, so then uh, gradually over about the next uh, seven or eight years, I'd start working in a, a couple different shops and those sho I would build scenery in shops and I would start to fabricate in shops. But those shop shops would also on occasion rig something from the ceiling of an event center or something mm -hmm. like that. And I was getting more idea of what rigging was. Uh, so I, I shifted my focus a little harder and, you know, uh, started fabricating a little harder to uh, to kind of give myself more options and um Ended up getting a job uh, working for O and mm -hmm. for Cirque du Soleil. And after that, I started, I was able to just keep working as a rigger from that point on. Yeah. Sorry, I just have to ask about <coughs> this uh, Batman show <laughs> the early on because I, I think I saw online that it was with Six Flags. Is that right? Yeah, Six it, Flags. Six Flags. And six. I worked at Six Flags Magic Mountain in Los Angeles. Okay. Just because I grew up in uh, near Vallejo where sure. they have Six Flags Marine World and they had a Batman show when yeah. I was a kid. Yeah, most of that one was on water, though, I think. So I don't know if that was the same we one. Have a, we used a lot of the guys from that show. Once, oh, really? Once they closed down that show, a lot of those guys came down to L.A. A lot of them, actually, in, in the live shows, they all come to L.A. A lot of them come to L.A. and work on the live shows there. So I was working with a bunch of other previous Batmans at the time yeah. in that show. It was a good time. That's the best job I ever had. This is the thing that I think I'm most curious about. It seems so stressful to me to be responsible for the safety of these performers. I mean, just the fact that the way you introduce this is like, I'm responsible for people who aren't on the ground. Like, people right. don't belong in the sky. Like, that seems so stressful. And I'm curious, when you decided, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get started in this career, like, I think it's something I have experience with, what are, the, what are, like, the first things that you have to learn? Because there is a lot of responsibility being placed on you guys and the team that you're working with. Sure, it's a, it's a lot of risk, right? Um, but I when I started to take this on as, as what I wanted to do, um, I did two things. One is, of course, I did things uh, the way I had been shown by somebody else and not necessarily understanding what I was doing. And um, the second thing that I did was I became very, uh, I became very interested in, in what it is we're really trying to accomplish and, and to go a little bit deeper other than if, mm -hmm. I just if I just tie this knot onto this rope and clip this carabiner into it and hang that person from it, they won't fall. And so it is a bunch of responsibility. You're right. It's a bunch of risk. And the risk is obvious. That's the mm -hmm. thing about it. It's far more obvious than driving a car or getting in an elevator. Those things we all feel very comfortable with. But once you pick someone up off the ground, everybody can see that the possibility of them um, uh, falling to the ground is is 
pretty obvious. Physics is physics, and things hold what they're able to hold. And once you start to get a better understanding about how much how much the human body can actually generate when it's moving around, mm-hmm. and put that against how much whatever it is you're hanging from can hold, that's where you get your safety but, factor, design factor, or your risk your risk reduction comes from that. Yeah. But knowing those values, and in acrobatics, as far as acrobatics goes, um, those uh, that kind of information has actually only been only really been starting to permeate itself out to out to the public in the last handful of years, four or five Wait, years. Wait, what do you mean by that? Uh, how much does a person weigh? How much does a person weigh when they're falling? Um, how much does, a, if an aerialist is going to do an acrobatic act, how much force do they generate? And, uh, and that's only been, that number, those numbers that we have have only been kind of getting uh, tested and released and, and they haven't been hidden, just people haven't actually looked that deep into it. Yeah. So if I fall six feet, if I stand on top of the, if I stand on top of the table and I grab the ceiling and I fall six feet and I don't bend my knees when I hit the ground, how much do I weigh when I hit the ground? Right, which is very similar to if I'm holding onto a rope and I do a drop and I fall six feet, how much force do I put on that system? Oh, wait, so how much is I'm just curious, like off the top of your head, do you know, like if you're a, like I'm six feet 180. Sure. Like so, how much do I weigh so when I hit the ground? For so six a six foot fall, if you didn't bend your knees at all, six foot fall, you could generate 900 to 1,000 pounds. What? 900? Oh so my a, hard, a hard stop with no deceleration, you can generate 1,000 pounds. And just even that idea of telling people that a human being can generate 1,000 pounds, just the same reaction as you. Yeah. What? Why? Like, uh, as plenty of times I've, um, plenty of times we've walked into situations where people have been rigging for other people or in the circus, they, uh, for, for all those years in the circus when nobody was doing science or math, they're like, we're, well, I only weigh a hundred pounds. So, and this, this piece of rope can hold a thousand pounds. So it's 10 times stronger than I need it to be. Should be fine. Yeah. So were people just falling off of things all the time until recently, or was it just like people were just, just safe enough that it was kind of okay or what? No, I, I, I mean, I'm sure there there has been accidents over over you know the the hundreds of years that we've had the circus. But the other thing about having all that time is that you've got the data set of the fact that it uh, it was it was tried, practically tested, right? This yeah. guy this guy jumped under this rope. It, it take take rock climbing, take mountain climbing. It's been around longer than there has been any aerialists in New York. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> And so they figured out that a person, um, you know, over time, probably through trial and error, uh, that if I use a rope that's this big and I fall off the mountain, the rope breaks. Yeah. So we will we'll use a bigger rope next time. And then we fall off the mountain and the rope the, the rope doesn't break. But if I fall on it 10 times, it breaks. Yeah. Right. OK, so we'll use another bigger rope this next time. And so by the time we get to where we are now, we, we do have math and science figuring out those things, but we also have the fact that uh, over the last 70 or 80 years, obviously a half-inch rope seems to be the good-sized rope for a person to be able to tie a knot, and when they tumble off the mountain, it doesn't break. But one of the things that's been coming into light more and more when we think about risk assessment for this kind of stuff is I, I use the analogy of a, a pogo sticking near the edge of a cliff. <laughs> so if you've got a girl and she's pogo sticking and she's out to set the world record for time for pogo sticking mm-hmm. and she's doing it six feet away from the edge of the cliff, it, has, it doesn't take any more skill to do it that close to the edge of the cliff. All she's doing is putting herself closer to a risk hazard. Mm-hmm. And the only way to, and the best way to make that person safer if they're pogo sticking or jumping jacking or whatever they're doing next to it is to move them away from the cliff, right? And the further away they get the, uh, from the cliff, the more opportunity she has to stumble and fall or somebody could come, a big gust of wind could knock her over. And at some point you can move her so far away from the edge of the cliff that she's in the rocks and she can't pogo stick anymore. So we can make things too safe. Yeah. That you can't do it. So you still want to accomplish 
whatever it is the thing you want to look like. Yeah. Um, but there's got to be a zone of how can we make it better. Um, and I, th- you know, when people make mis, uh, when we're having problems with with rigging, with acrobatic rigging, um, I believe that a, a lot of them is yes, it was strong enough, but we were pretty close to the edge of the cliff, mm-hmm. and maybe something changed to just nudge us even that closer. So it is strong enough to hold you up, or it is strong enough to hold up what it is we want to do. But but do we re- are we doing it on purpose? Mm-hmm. And, and engineering, that's called a design factor or a safety factor or a factor of safety. Yeah. And um, and even those terms, even among riggers, that has I've only been hearing it really start to permeate uh, in conversations in the last handful of years. For a long time, uh, we would just go to the arena and we'd lift this up because somebody somewhere said it was strong enough and heavy enough and that wouldn't be the job of the average rigger to figure that part out. You mentioned rock climbing and you talked about zip lining earlier. What are other disciplines that you learn from? Oh, well, I started in I started in ropes courses um, when I was in my teens, and uh, a lot of a lot of ropes courses and adventure courses and zip lines. A lot of those come out of the rock climbing side of things back yeah. in the seventies and eighties. Uh, so a lot of the equipment's similar, and uh, some and a lot of the premises are similar. And then once I started to do stunts, we were doing um, again so harnesses and carabiners and ropes. But then sometimes we were using small cables so you couldn't see it, and maybe we were doing bigger jumps. So the equipment kind of changed, and stunt guys had a ver- either all the same equipment that we'd always had, or maybe they had a few new things. Yeah. Um, when I I worked with a, a flying company who did a lot of, who still does a lot of flying effects for for things like Peter Pan, and uh, things like Aladdin, uh, Broadway shows, and things mm-hmm. like that. That's when I first started to see. Um, that was my first experience with really small equipment, and and what it how strong does it need to be for, for what it is they're going to do? And then when I started to work for, oh, for Cirque du Soleil, that was when, that was, I saw the most variety of equipment I'd ever seen, big and small. And we had systems that were set up with some rope and pulley in a very old circus style right next to a $60,000 high-speed flying winch that was run by two computers. And um, on that particular show as well, we had a pool. Oh, happens in a pool. It's a water mm-hmm. show. So we also had to have all this equipment that was able to withstand corrosion. And then we also had a team of 11 riggers each show and five during the day that were some of the best riggers, some of the best people to have on yeah. your team I'd ever seen. Guys, Some guys who came from old old, old circus and some other guys who came from engineering school right next to some guys who came out of computers. Yeah. And, uh, and that was a real, so it was inter- that was a big eye opener for, um, how you, what your personnel can be like, how, what your team yeah. is like, as well as, uh, when you have the opportunity to have that kind of funding and backing. What's it like hearing those guys talk? I'm just curious if it's sort of the stereotypical, like the old circus guys are like, <laughs> whatever, I'll show you the knot to tie or if they, or if they're like, it's like a real dialogue there or what that's like. No, it's exactly like that. <laughs> It's 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 less uh, it's a less dirty construction site I would say yeah. you get a, a it's a lot of a very macho talk and and the old honestly the old old school circus guys don't think that any of the rest of us have any idea what we're doing at all because right. we never uh, pulled out a tent stake or, yeah. or put up a tent and uh, and the guys that come from outside of that don't think that the old school circus guy would they would just they would just tie some string they found on the ground and hang from that so maybe we should have some some bigger precautions or maybe we should yeah so it's a really it's um luckily though at least on those companies those are really good teams and i think on all of the Cirque du Soleil shows that i worked on the rigging teams were all very interested in 
in really being the best team that they could be. So if the, if you are a weak link or you're a hazard on those teams, the, they won't they don't last very long because ultimately. On those shows, the rigging team is is really interacting with the performer directly, and their the the amount of risk that they take on by being on those rigging teams is a uh, is really has a direct effect on the performer. Yeah, uh, I think maybe my guess is first and only time Cirque du Soleil will ever be called a less dirty construction site. <laughs> <laughs> I um, mean, yeah, no, really. it's a perfect description. I can I, I now I can really picture it. Can be a little bit rough. I I'm mean, sure. stagehands are stagehands are, are a little bit uh, rough and tumble. You peel already. back the curtain of just about anything like that. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah, I'm sure, right. flower shops probably like right. that too. I would have individual areas ask me questions, and uh, when I was working on Iris in Los Angeles, and we had a great rigging team at Iris, so I would take it to the team and be like, "So and so asked me a question about this knot in this rope, which is very geeky." Mm-hmm. And uh, we'd debate about which knot we thought was better. But then we also had the luxury of we could tie a bunch of them, take it down to the breaker. We could break it on a machine to see what it really broke at and how strong it really was and get real information out of it. Wait, the breaker? Sorry. Yeah, we have a device that breaks things. What? Yeah. What does it look like? Look, uh, as far as engineering goes, um, things like uh, things hold what they're able to hold or they don't. And the only way to really find out is to put it on something that's going to break it, and then you find out how much it holds. That's awesome. Wait, so what does your breaker look like? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, it's, just so now it's I'm fast. Perfectly even. Is... That, that breaker was a, a big I-beam, a long I-beam. I think we had about a 10-foot-long I-beam, and there was a tab on either end. Mm-hmm. And we have a, a dynamometer, a device that measures how much force. And you'd put uh, put a hook between it, and there's a on that one we had a, a come-along. We have pulled it with a, a two-ton come-along. Yeah. Pull stuff until it breaks. But they make hydraulic ones as well. We've broken some stuff on some hydraulic rams just to see... Not only do you find out how strong it is, ultimately how much until it breaks, but you find out where it begins to break first. I've seen things put in a breaker that people would say, well, I think it's going to break here in the middle, or I think it's going to break here at the end. And we've taken them and pulled them and found out that it breaks in a completely different place. And what's an example of where that's important to know? Uh, A good example, since we're talking about apparatus and fabrication, is that, so let's say we build this globe. We build a, we take a bunch of rings and we weld them all together and it mm-hmm. looks like a globe and we're going to hang, uh, we're going to hang five people are going to climb around on this globe and we're going to hang it from the ceiling and move it up and down. Um, so one person would look at it and their experience would say, well, it's going to break at all the welds. And yeah. somebody else would look at it and say, like, it's made of aluminum. I don't think we can use it. It's not going to be strong enough. Mm-hmm. And somebody else might say, um, I think it's going to, I think once we set it down, it's just going to, we're going to have a lot of cracking in, in some position or another. And that's everyone is probably correct. Who's, yeah. But which of those is going to happen first? And how does that lay into our plan of, of Interesting. how dangerous is it or did, is it not? Um, we've had, so a lira is a simple circle made of steel. And mm-hmm. that's what uh, the performer would climb around on. And on top of it, it's got a tab that you could clip a carabiner into, right? Yeah. It's probably the simplest device that you can have in circus, in acrobatics. And... A long time, uh, I see people make these gigantic tabs. These tabs are good. The, they're welding onto this piece, this circle, and they're and they're welding this piece of steel on it to make it just as st- strong as they possibly can because they believe that the tab is going to fall off. That if the performer is climbing around on it through all that movement, that the tab is going to get weak. Yeah. And so we put one in. We decided to weld up some liras and put them in a breaker and see what was going to happen first. And what happens is, not uh, first of all, your circle goes from being a circle. It holds out for a certain amount, and then it stops being a circle and becomes an oval, mm-hmm. you know, because you're pulling it, and then it will continue to get smaller and smaller and smaller as an oval. And then it it's going to break the steel tube that the lira is made out of. It breaks outside of the tab. The tab's the strongest part. 
<laughs> so long before, long before that tab's ever going to fall off. Yeah. Your person won't be able to use the device that they're sitting in. Yeah. Right? Because it's not going to be a circle anymore. It's going to be these, this extremely long teardrop shape. So how strong do we need that tab to be? Because there's going to be indicators before then that we just won't be able to use it. Right. Right. So you get a better perspective on how things like that really work. So I want to just kind of talk through how you think about rigging different scenarios. And maybe we can just start with the simple one that you described earlier, and then you can tell me what's a more complicated thing. What's another, what's another layer to this, but uh, your, you know, your earliest, most simple example is just like you put someone in a harness, you clip them in and you lift them off the ground. So what do you need to know to be able to do that safely? And what's the equipment that you're going to use? The, the first place we, that, that, we, that I like to start is, uh, well, how much is the performer going to weigh? Mm-hmm. If we're going to do Peter Pan flying, we've got a 100-pound kid, and he, Peter Pan's going to be lifted off the ground, and he's going to swing, and he's always going to be supported by the cable that he's attached to. And so his number, the number that he may end up weighing, or the number that force, the amount of force they may, he may end up putting on the device that he's attached to could be 300 pounds, 400 pounds mm-hmm. from a very aggressive swing, yeah. uh, which would be a high-end number, always erring on the side of stronger. Um, and now if we take an acrobat and we do the same thing on that system and the same acrobat, just by climbing up a rope, it's very easy for a human being to at least double their weight Yeah, climbing the rope. So if you go from 100 pounds, you're probably 200 pounds or more just climbing the rope. Okay. Uh, all the way up to like 500 pounds if it's a really aggressive, ugly climb. And so now we need uh, things to be even stronger because mm-hmm. they're going to be moving around. But the things that acrobats do and stuntmen... Uh, probably do it more than anyone else is they'll do the biggest, hardest drop they can do that doesn't injure them. Yeah. So how big is that and how yeah. far do they fall? But if we have an aerialist do a five foot fall and get caught in their apparatus, you know, they'll generate a thousand pounds or generate mm-hmm. 900 pounds. And that's just one of them. So now imagine if we had even more. Yeah. Um, so now we, our lowest number is a thousand pounds. And how much stronger can we make everything else above that? Mm-hmm. Some people, some people may use just a what's a design factor or a safety factor of two to one. Yeah. So we're going to say we're going to generate a thousand pounds, so everything's going to be able to hold two thousand pounds, which is pretty pretty close to the edge of the cliff, I think. Um, for acrobatics, some some design factors that are thrown around. Um, some people will say, well, we always use a ten to one design factor when we do acrobatics, or a ten to one design factor when we do human lifting. And then my question is, well, that's that's great, that would be awesome, but what is the one that we're dealing with? Are we yeah. dealing with a 10 to 1 design factor based on 100 pounds or 10 to 1 design factor based on 500 pounds, 10 to 1 design factor based on 1,000 pounds? Yeah. And at some point, um, I think you'll find if we do a 10 to 1 design factor based on 1,000 pounds, it's going to be hard to find equipment or overhead anchors that are able to hold 10,000 pounds. Yeah. So where is the, a more realistic range? Is that also <laughs> just a question because it always seems really uncomfortable to me to be hung from a harness? And then I've done rock climbing, I guess, but is there a comfortable harness? Yeah. No. Okay. <laughs> That's <laughs> they're they're all squeezing you in. If you're if you have any amount of softness, they're all squeezing you in your in your softest place in a, in the yeah. weirdest direction. Yeah. I mean, yes, rock <laughs> rock climbing harnesses they make more comfortable because you're going to spend more time in them. Yeah. But most acrobatic harnesses are are not comfortable at all because of that artistic side. They want a low profile. They don't want to see the harness. Yeah. And the less, the, the, the lower profile you want that harness to be, the more it, well, it ends up being Well, acrobats at least probably don't have as much softness as, like I do. They don't, but, they, but they, do, they do want to move around a lot more, and sometimes you can end up being very limited on your movement in those. Um, when you, okay, so the, 
we were talking about a thing you called an anchoring point. Sure. That's a thing. Overhead. Uh, overhead, anchor. overhead anchor. What do you usually, what is that usually? Is it like a, like some kind of like metal frame that you put up yourself or is it like an eye hook in the ceiling of a venue? I was really, I'm curious how you have like just to have sure. any confidence. In I mean, well, the, the, two, the two most obvious ones are you're going to, you're going to hang from the building that you're in. Mm-hmm. Right. So whatever the beams are that are holding up the building or holding up the roof or what's above you. Um, and do they have enough extra because, because even your building that we're in has a design factor. Yeah. Like the roof of the roof that's above us right now, the ceilings above us right now is designed to hold up the floor above us and some amount more. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's two reasons for that design factor. One is, uh, especially in acrobatics, there's two reasons for it. One is so that you have that extra cushion of strength in case things change. Yeah. Right. And you have, you have that extra stopping distance of strength. The other is it lasts longer. Yeah. Right. The bridge, uh, whatever the design factor is on one of the bridges in town, that's that design factor is there, not because they think suddenly someone's going to drive three times as many cars over it, but it's because the bigger that design factor is, the longer to last. Yeah. Right? You're using a percentage of its strength. So, yeah, so we're either going to hang from the building that we're in, mm-hmm. right? And if it has enough extra strength to hang from, or you're going to build a freestanding structure, or you're going to build something inside of the building yeah. you're in, or you're going to build a freestanding structure outside you know, for an outdoor festival and you'll hang from that. Yeah. Right. And those, and both of those things are easily, and you can get easy engineering for it. And if you know how to talk to the, the engineer, you can find out whether it's got the extra strength that you want. So it's like a building engineer. I'm just curious, because if you build your own thing, then I see how you can be totally confident, but it's especially like, what if you're in some like kind of old theater or something? Well, I mean, any, uh, so I just came off. So Marvel Universe Live is a touring show. It's one of the, the bigger touring shows right now. And one of the challenges of that show was that, uh, the grid that we do all of the acrobatics from and hang all the lights from, it has to be suspended from the ceiling. And it's it's the size of an entire hockey arena. And there are some buildings in the country that have enough extra strength to hold it up and some that don't. Mm-hmm. So where you can maybe take a Justin Bieber concert that might only have a, a, hand, uh, a half of the equipment that we have to hang yeah. on our show, there's more than enough strength for it. But our, uh, when we did Marvel, there were a lot of places that it couldn't go. And they're about to go to Europe. They're actually retooling the show now to go to Europe. And in Europe, there's even less places where they can hold that amount. And in old arenas, uh, you would hang from the building, what it was that's holding up the roof, let's say. Mm-hmm. And it, it may have enough extra strength. But in the newer buildings and newer arenas, since uh, arena rigging's kind of been changing in the last 20 years, they'll build a grid underneath the roof. Okay. So you're hanging from something that's there, completely there, just to hold up whatever you want to come in and hang from. Yeah. I've gone into situations where the structural engineer has said, it's way strong enough for what it is you're going to do. And then I would say, well, that's great. So you're telling me it can hold 5,000 pounds? He's like, no, it can't hold 5,000 pounds. That's crazy. You've got a 100-pound person on it. It holds yeah. 500 pounds. I'm like, all right, well, let's have a better conversation about what yeah. it is we're going to do to it. We're going to put 1,000 pounds on it. We'd like to have this much more. So. Yeah. Like you're hanging a person, not an elephant, right? right. Yeah. How much cushion do you want? But you have to get people. You're like, dude, 180-pound person from six-foot fall, 1,000 pounds. And, you know, that's a, I remember the first time I, I heard it or saw it in a practical test, and that, that number is probably bigger than, than the average person would think. Well, I guess it's like they say, like, a, if you run a car into a wall going 25 miles an hour, it's like the amount of force it exerts is like you would. It's what you'd expect from going 100 miles an hour. Sure. Or something like there's all these things that you don't really understand Depending, how these forces yeah. multiply until you have to think about it, right. which you do all the time. Especially the information that we've used on the bigger shows that I've been on. 
uh, came from fall protection training, which is employees wearing a harness and I've got a lanyard and I clip into the lanyard as I'm walking along the Mm I-beam. And if I fall off the I-beam, my lanyard slows me down and my harness catches me. Yeah. Because, and even that technology or that information is fairly new in the last 15 years or so, because long before, before then you either, A, wouldn't climb with a harness at all, or you'd tie somebody would tie a rope around your waist, and when you fell, the rope would stop you from falling. Mm-hmm. But the amount of injury that that fall would do because of the hard stop and how it caught you, you'd be if you weren't killed by the fall into the <laughs> rope, you'd be fairly injured. Um, and so those numbers came out of fall protection. Fall protection, they try to reduce the force to 900 pounds, a six-foot fall, make sure that there's enough cushion in the harness and in the in the lanyard that your body doesn't see more than 900 pounds because your body's a big bag of moving water. Yeah. And if your body sees a thousand pounds of force, you're, you're probably going to be injured. Yeah. Right. 1200 pounds. It gets even worse. I think uh, the last time it was quoted to me, it was 1800 pounds is the injury threshold for an average person. So the average person, if they were to take a fall and, and experience 1800 pounds, that they're in a fairly critical condition at that point. Okay. So, uh, another question. Um, when we were trying to schedule this, I had to reschedule a thousand times and you said, Oh, don't worry about it. I'm a problem solver. Uh, and I noticed that was like a description on your bio online as well. <laughs> um, what is like a really complicated thing you've had to rig where you really had to come in and be a problem solver? And what do you end up doing? My favorite bunch of problems to solve that is really forgotten about in most situations is if we have something go wrong with the rigging, how do we get them down? Oh, that's that's interesting. That one is left by the wayside very often in, in tons of situations. If you're a geek about it like I am, that's where we get to have the most fun. Okay. Right? I believe that making things strong enough is probably the easiest. Mm-hmm. If you have the real numbers of how much force or how much weight you need to hold up and how much stronger you're able to get it, you know that can be done with some with some simple. Um, it's kind of academic. Much much more simple. But now we want it to look a certain way. Yeah. Right. You're wanting it to look the way that the director wants it to look in their imagination. Which, yeah. And imaginations often don't include physics. <laughs> so. What do we have to do to make it look that way? Or how can we change their mind that this, it looks similar, uh, it looks similar, but it gives you the same theatrical idea, but we have to do it like this because of physics. And that came up a lot when we did the, the Marvel Universe live show because they're all superheroes. We wanted to move like superheroes. We wanted to fly like superheroes right. when they fly in and out. Um, but there are just some challenges that you just can't do certain things. You can't, yeah. you can't um, if Iron Man punches the bad guy in the chest, you can't. Uh, if you did it on a computer, you could have him fly across an entire hockey arena and run into a wall. Yeah. But if we did that in reality, we had to pull it. We would have to pull him so fast that that pull would injure him greatly. Yeah. And then there's no way to stop him from running into the wall. So I mean, there's more. So we can't really do everything in reality that you can do in your imagination. <laughs> well, I can see why you describe yourself as a problem solver. And uh, thanks so much for coming in. Let me just ask real quick: What's the next exciting thing you're working on? Uh, I'm I'm finishing up uh, doing some rigging here for the U.S. aerial competition in New York, uh, and then I go to I actually go to Ireland to take a class at the Irish Aerial Dance Festival. I'm going to take another riggers uh, acrobatic rigging class, and then I'll be in Austin doing an artist in residence at a circus school, and then after that, just more more of the similar kind of stuff. Awesome. Well, Brett Copes, thanks for being here. Right on. And that's our show. Higher World Works is produced by the staff of Popular Mechanics and edited by Jack Dillon. We'd like to thank Sarah Bentley and Eddie Bowers from Panoply, as well as Popular Mechanics editor-in-chief Brian D'Agostino. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes, and while you're there, leave us a comment. We'd really love to know what you think. 
Also, check out our sister show, The Most Useful Podcast Ever. And if you want to read more about rigging, check out our website, popularmechanics.com slash podcasts. While you're there, keep in mind that you can subscribe to the print and digital editions of Popular Mechanics Magazine for just $13.99 for one year. I'm Kevin Dupsick. Thanks for listening. Should have hit the brakes and down.